Welcome to the Heads and Bed Show, where we teach you how to get more properties, earn more revenue per property, and increase your occupancy. I'm your co-host, Conrad. And I'm your co-host, Paul. Hello there, Paul. How are you doing tonight? Great, Conrad. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's our first post-Christmas episode. We're sneaking in one more recording, I believe, before the new year. So you mentioned before we started hitting record that the little ones were sick. It wasn't this uh, Christmas for you, unfortunately, but... You had fun overall? I did. It was, yeah, we had two, two sick kiddos, so not exactly what we were looking for, but Santa still made a visit. We still got to watch a little bit of the Santa tracker on Hulu. So while they were awake, we did enjoy a little <laughs> bit of the holiday there. So that was good. What about you? Did you, did you enjoy some time with the family there? Yeah, it was good. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, no sick kids this time, so we got to enjoy it, and they were all enthusiastic. And our first Christmas in the new house, so that was pretty good as uh, well. Yeah. I had the childhood experience, or I gave, sorry, my children the childhood experience that I got as a kid, which is that you wait at the top of the stairs until you're ready to come down and then once you're ready to come down then you're like you're summoned and it's release the kraken sort of vibes like you just let the door open and you just let you know them run in and of course the baby gets knocked over by the middle (laughs) one but yeah i got to recreate that which obviously we didn't have in the old house so there was a it was like a tinge of nostalgia as i saw them coming down and then we covered all their presents with blankets and then you like take the blankets off. It's very like a, what was that TV show where they like reveal the house at the end? Oh, I'm blanking well, on it. Make, it. All right, someone's going to email us. We're gonna gonna exactly. <laughs> we're going to need someone. <laughs> Clearly we haven't been watching enough TV than the last year. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the heck out of some Paw Patrol, but yeah. They're true. We're up to date there. And the yeah. junior shows, Disney junior show. But it was that kind of vibe. You really lifted up the blanket and there was like, oh, all these presents. Santa came. Don't ask questions, which is good because we don't have a fireplace. So one would wonder how. <laughs> That's what is. You can watch the Santa Claus movie. There, there is a solution there. That's the maybe a radiator, or you can a window, or a, I mean, breaking and entering. It's good during Christmas. That's exactly <laughs> what we have to overcome that idea of. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Santa's great. You know what else is great? Reputation management. Reputation so today we're talking management. about the brand side of vacation rentals, and I think this is actually going to be an interesting episode because this is, I think, one of the core tenants that I have with regards to people who choose a specific vacation rental company over another one, whether it be an owner or a guest. And obviously, we're going to dive into both kind of areas of it today. Mm-hmm. And my sort of like assessment or sentiment is that this is actually the most valuable thing that you can do as a vacation rental manager over the long term. Now, in the short mm-hmm. term, like building the brand when you have not enough revenue coming in to pay your bills is obviously a waste of time and energy. But once I think you reach a certain level, I don't know exactly what that level is. Maybe we can try to define that a little bit more, a bit further mm-hmm. today. But once you reach a certain level, I think brand is really what you want to spend the most time working on, like establishing what your brand actually stands for, what your brand identity is. And when I see people that are struggling, I think it's usually because they don't stand for one thing. Like they're too kind of scattered. They don't exactly know what type of property they're actually trying to go after. They don't really know what type of guests they're really looking to serve. And that's where I want to get started today is basically like, how do you define brand? And then what are the benefits of a brand? I have kind of two thoughts on those. So what are your thoughts on that? What's the, what is a brand? What does that mean to you in the context of vacation rental? And then how do you benefit from having a brand, brand awareness? I, right. I think the brand awareness or the, having that brand is something that it is. It's defining who you are. You are truly taking the steps to put your, establish yourself. And I think establishment is going to be my, I think it's going to be my buzzword today, just because it is, it's it. I I think what you're talking about, as far as the being able to build it and being able to establish it, it's so critical. And the time frame of when does it happen? When have you, when has your brand officially been established? I think it can be looked at a lot of different ways. And when I look at just brand and online reputation, I look at it from certainly a couple different perspectives there and look at it from 
how other people are seeing you. I think if you look online, typically people are looking at it through that owned media, earned media, paid media, shared media type of thing. So certainly as we see in the, and I think we've seen it in the VR space much more frequently, or I think there's been more growth of branding. I think Matt Landau plays a big role in that. He has a big personal brand and I think he's shared ways to really establish your brand across the the space with individual property managers. That's something where really looking at social media and LinkedIn over the last year, you have, you've seen some people who have truly and clearly taken the advice and heeded that input of this is how you should be establishing yourself. And people really following a very similar playbook, I think, making sure they are owning that, that shared media and owning that earned media, certainly. <clears throat> and it is, I think from the best practices perspective, really your, any of your owned media, as far as your website, SEO, your areas there, I think you can look at that reputation in a lot of different ways. Like when I uh, back on the agency side of things, we'll go back a couple of years here. So really reputation management was just unifying your brand across different places. That's the only way I saw it was, okay, so Yahoo says the same thing as Bing, as Google, as anything like that. But I think that was a very short-sighted or a very small perspective of what it was because it's not just everybody saying the same thing, really owning that media and really owning everything in your reputation is more about the brand. And I think that in our discussions over the last year plus, certainly I think I've gotten a new perspective on that and thought about in, in it completely through a different lens. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that over to you. And a lot of that is, is, again, those discussions that we've had. But yeah, looking at it, how we're breaking it down, it is looking at that owned media, owned media, earned media. I'm going to just jump right into it. And I think it will go from there. But that own media, making sure anything in your brand is unified, making sure your website, your blog, you have those third-party websites. It is important to make sure that Yelp and Yahoo, Bing, and, and all the other booking and booking sites that you could be on now, the distribution channels, MetaSearch, and anything like that, anywhere you, where you could be, it has to be unified. I think at one time, at the average placements or listings out there with 60 or 70 websites or placements that you could have online and making sure that all those are saying the same thing, directing people back to the same information, have the same contact information. That is critical. Um, Not quite to the brand part of it, but just being able to reach out and talk through those things. But as far as the brand, and that's a critical part of the branding, how do you feel about that owned media side of things? Where do you start where you're looking at that as a foundational item for you? In my perspective, a brand is basically what you stand for. What do you what do you accept and what do you reject based on the values, the your mission, and even to some degree, I think your personality. I have that in here as well because I think that's an important company A in a market and company B in a market could both manage luxury homes and one could do it in a very different way than another in terms of how they approach it. There, one may be more playful, one may be more serious, one may want to take on more of the investor type, one may want to take on just more of the second homeowner type. So I think there's a lot to be said for that, which is that what are your mission, your values, what do you stand for, what's your personality, and then how do you reflect that visually, having a logo and having like, right. like to your point, like a website, everything laid out all consistently, I think is part of that. But I think people over-index on that typically at first. They're so worried about how it looks. And I'm like, well, that's not really like critical. That's right. something you can handle later on. You could, right. v, V1 of your company, V2 of your company could have a Fiverr logo and you can get pretty far. I've seen it. Like You don't necessarily have to have a certain logo, even though we do sell design work from a logo perspective. That's just a visual 
identity. It's not really what the brand is. Brand is something that you actually stand for. And then, you know, what I also put in here is that I think brand also means that you know what you can say yes to or what you should say yes to and what you should say no to. And I think that's also something that we sometimes come across people not really having a good grasp on is that to your point about the channels that you're going to get the message out there on, their channels are very mixed. They don't really have one thing that they're saying because maybe they're a company that has four properties in four different markets. So they have 16 Mm -hmm. properties and they're like, how am I going to market this this company, this brand when people know me as X because they stayed with X, but now I'm talking about Y on one social channel. Not saying it can't be done, but it makes it very challenging. It makes it harder because you're having to almost establish like multiple brand identities simultaneously. And when you have multiple people just get confused. So that's one thing. And then I think another thing is people will say what they think their brand stands for, but (laughs) it's kind of like that thing about reputation, right? What what do people say in the room when you're not there? That's what your brand is. I think there's some logic in that because if you say, we see this frequently when some of our collaborations in the past, we see someone, for example, wanting to present their service or their property management as luxury when they themselves really don't have any luxury properties today. And right. I get it. It's like a ladder. You have to like, I started with small clients, then over time I got bigger clients. So you might have to start with smaller, less premium or luxury feeling properties. And then over time you get leveled up, but you can't represent yourself as luxury when you're managing a very modest plainly decorated one bedroom condos. That's not necessarily what anyone would define as luxury. So I think you have to lean into different things as you change. And I think your brand is going to change, change as you change, right? Like you need to change maybe your design, your look, your feel, your messaging, your copy, your going into your piece right here, your own media, maybe what the type of content that you post today might be very different than the type of content you post two years from now when you have a very different set of inventory, when you have more past guests, things like that. And I think that's fine. So to, to your category point, owned, earned, shared, and paid, my like most experienced really is I would say on own and paid that's like where we I think Mm -hmm. do the most but I think there's something to be said for earned media in terms of being able to get attention so I think some rental managers do a phenomenal job at getting attention like in their local marketplace or through some form of media like Honestly, you could, a, a quick litmus test, look at anyone that's been VRMA president over the past, yeah. since I've been in the industry 10 yep. years, they get a bunch of attention on their company and they typically can speak from a position of authority because they're like, I was the president or vice president or on the executive leadership team on the manager side of VRMA. So then they can talk about like, what they're doing in other areas of their business and people will listen to them because that reflects authority. And I've had the chance to work with some of those people who have had that position at various times or similar positions in there and they do take their brand very seriously. Any company that we work with that's over $5 million a year gross booking value, like they typically have um, significant investments that they're making both in terms of time or money or energy into building their brand identity, both locally, like in the community and amongst the industry in many cases, like amongst their peers and things like that. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot to dive into. I guess maybe I was hoping to go maybe a little bit further into one of your pieces there around owned media. So you were things that you control. How would someone know, break that down a little bit further. How would someone know the difference between owned media and earned media? Because I've got this mixed up in the past. So I'm curious your view on it. And I think that's, I think I would define owned media as anything that you have, that you're primarily in control of. And SEO is going to be that gray area, but I do, I think SEO is still a critical part of, of owned media because you are, you're owning that search engine and you're earning it, whether you're doing it on the first page of the search results or whether you're doing it with your Google My Business listing. And those are going to be, I think, the primary areas. A third, those third-party websites, I think that's where it's a distribution question for me is what are the right third-party, and I think that gets into the branding side of things, what are the right third-party websites for me to be on? Should I be on every website that's out there that 
promotes travel and promotes vacation rentals. Not necessarily. I think that's something where if you, if you, again, if you're defining your brand as luxury, if you're defining your brand as a family brand, is a, like a large group brand, we've certainly run into some of those property managers where they want to be on the conference and convention center websites as opposed to some of the just the smaller family type of distribution sites. I think it is. It's really being able to say that you are in control and that is really the difference between the owned and the earned. Press coverage on the earned media side of things, you can reach out to a newspaper or a newspaper could reach out to you certainly. You can collaborate on the content side of things with maybe local blogger or a mom and pop blog. I think on the, when we get into the review side of things, certainly Google reviews, Yelp reviews, TripAdvisor, I think maybe not as much on the vacation rental side, but it certainly just general hospitality. That's an area you want to be looking at. It is, I think for, in, in the case of Ventori for us, third-party sites, being able to point to a Glassdoor or Trustpilot or someone and see that there's trust not only with internal employees, but external vendors and people that we're working with as well. So I think that is, it's really, there's a lot of different ways you can define that earned versus that owned media. I think it is, it's for me, it's the control. It feels like at some point with the earned media, you have to do something. There's a little quid pro quo there, even if it's not like money or any true return on the value. If you're asking someone for a review after a stay or something like that, you may not, you may offer them something, but it's just, you're asking them to do it. There's someone else who has to do something there. Again, on those third party sites, maybe you are, you're included on a, on a top list for a travel, a travel and leisure or a resorts and lodges.com, or you're you somehow you, that list gets into a Reddit forum and who knows where we could go from there. It could get diciness in a hurry there, but that's also important to understand all those places where you could be because I think the earned media is that area where you don't always know what's out there. SEMrush actually has a really great tool to, and maybe Ahrefs does too, to really help you understand where you're picking up some of those articles, where you're picking up some of those forum mentions because it is, if you don't know that those are out there, all of a sudden there's a windfall, you've gone viral and you didn't even know it happened. I guess that's how I would define the difference between the owned and the earned. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think those are important distinctions. And to your point, I have seen some tools like that in the past that help you monitor brand mentions and things like that. I think those can be good ideas. To your point, there's an external component to that, right? Like reviews and things like that. Right. You have some level of control over it. You can you can ask people to review you. You can certainly respond to reviews, even if they're positive or negative. And we've written many review responses <laughs> over the years to negative reviews. There's something too about like the idea of people who gang up and leave negative reviews. I think, okay, you had a bad experience. And in some cases, I have I have some clients, I will admit, that are super super honest about it and are like, yeah, we messed up. And then it's like, all right, yeah. how can we make it right? And then other clients who will tilt everything in their favor, like they meant they're supposed to be politicians because they're like, like, it's not our fault. Blame this person, blame this group, blame this other people. But you can learn so much from like people and how they respond to negative reviews. And actually there's actually studies out there. I'll try to, if I can find one, I'll link it in the show notes that actually say that if you have nothing but five-star reviews, people are very skeptical. <laughs> so like, actually filtering in a few like negative or slightly less than negative reviews actually makes your brand more like authentic and real. So uh, that's just the sidebar on like reviews and just that whole concept of wanting to have the best reviews on online, which you, know, you should definitely optimize for. I think the volume matters probably much more so on the review side than just purely the star rating, right? Like we have clients who have worked really hard to get high review counts. 
so that when they do get negative reviews, it doesn't impact them at all. Like one of our clients has well over a thousand Google reviews at this point. We have another client that has well over 5,000 Google, Google reviews at this point, and 90% of them are four or five stars. So if they do go and get a one star review, like we're not happy about it, we're going to respond to do what we need to do to try to make it right with the guests that had a negative experience, but it doesn't hurt them. Their average is still 4.67, 4.75, which on Google is a pretty good review rating. On other platforms like Airbnb, that's actually a terrible review because they basically just keep <laughs> right. By the way, that, that, this is another sidebar. We're going down to sidebars a little bit today on the review side of things, but I think this all feeds into brand. Airbnb and that what the brand that they want to contribute or that they put out there with regards to like their hosts. So they're like, we have hosts and we have super hosts, right? So they mm-hmm. want you to be maybe more likely to or want to book with a super host. Okay, that's fine. I don't disagree with that logic. But reviews on Airbnb are binary. That's the one thing that makes no sense to me. So Basically, a five is passing and a four is failing. That's Airbnb in yep. a nutshell, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. you could distribute it down, you, you could simplify it down to that level. And the problem I have with that is that like very few properties I've ever stayed in have truly been a five star experience. And I've stayed in not a lot, but a handful of like actual right. five star rated hotels and resorts. In some cases, they're amazing, but you can always find something. Like I stayed a, last time we were in Boston with my uncle. I didn't stay there; he was staying there. But we went in the Four Seasons, and like you could go in the corner of the shower and find a crack if you wanted oh, yeah. to be if you wanted to be a pain. You could be like, oh, the quality <laughs> of the shower was low. There was a crack in there so was that a five-star experience like overall i think it was but anyone could pick at something and make something less than five stars and i've stayed in short-term rentals both my clients and just other runs as a family just traveling Mm -hmm. and i feel like very few of them actually reach a five star but if i booked on a platform which i don't do often but i'm never going to leave less than a five star unless they just actively screwed me over basically because i know that anything less than a five is failing which is not really how any like real interaction in the real world works but these platforms like airbnb and even outside of our space, like Uber and stuff, they've just distorted reality to basically saying an average interaction is supposed to be five stars. It actually makes it unfortunate, in my opinion, for people that are actually delivering above and beyond, because the sort of like unspoken rule about like brand and reputation on a platform like Airbnb is that you leave five stars. If it's what you expected, basically, I got what I expected, what I paid for, I got your sort of most guests who are savvy enough to understand the system will leave five stars. But if you actually do go above and beyond, you really don't get that six star credit that you probably deserve in many cases. Like we have clients <laughs> right. that leave behind guests. We, we have a client who once a week, they can't do this for every guest just because of the size and scale of their operation. But once a week, they'll decorate a property based on what the person said they were coming for. So if they said birthday, they'll have the cleaner, said they'll send a team in after the cleaner and they'll go put like a birthday cake in the fridge. They'll have candles, all the stuff, take a, take a picture and send it to the guest. And they're like, oh, happy birthday. The, the guest walks in and sees that. And they will frequently get amazing reviews like an amazing right. brand building activity occurs from these these the sort of acts of kindness whatever you want to call it for, from the guest side of things but there's still even if they even if everything about the property is fantastic they'll get five stars they really in that scenario should get like six or seven stars but that's not really how the system works <laughs> right. yeah a lot of this online i think it's really challenging to truly differentiate a good versus a great company and that's why volume i think sometimes differentiates it because pretty much anybody could figure out a way to get 25 star reviews it is really hard to figure out a way to fake a thousand right. five star reviews like that is very challenging to do so even if you see two companies and this i think this bears it out in the data that i see when people clicking mm-hmm. through for example google my business company a has 50 five-star reviews company b has again 2,000 five five-star reviews i do think the guest is drawn to that they're drawn to the idea of excellence over time not just a few months or a few weeks of um of good performance. And I think the pe- people who are new to the space, they don't see that. They see 
a company founded in 2017 with thousands of five-star reviews and they think they can go compete with that company right away. And I'm like, you don't realize how much time and effort and energy they've taken to build that reputation and build that brand. You were saying earlier, like, how do we actually know if people have like affinity or identity towards a brand? One simple way that I've talked about in the past, I don't know if you talked about it on this show, is the idea of just looking at branded search volume for the name Mm -hmm. of the company. Mm -hmm. So if you have a company, a vacational management company, and 50 people a month are starting to search for that brand name, that's pretty significant. If you you fill a room with 50 people that were looking for you every month, like you'd be surprised (laughs) by that if you went and saw it in person. Online, it's just, it's all on a spreadsheet. You can't really see the impact of that. But any company that we work with that starts to see that uptick initially, who's a smaller company, they start to have people looking for the name of their company inside of Google on a branded search. I always notice that those are the ones that typically tend to pick up properties. Those are the ones that tend to get good five-star reviews. Those are the the ones that tend to have more Google or online bookings and things like that, direct bookings. And I think it all comes back to that. It all comes back to people specifically seeking out your brand. And I didn't say this earlier, but I think it's in this kind of sentiment, What I, how I see it is that people who like the real value of a brand is that people will pay mon- more money for a commodity. No one wants our vacation or properties that we market to be commodities. But let's be honest, in many cases, there's especially now with the inventory boom, there's a lot of alternatives for a three bedroom, four bedroom house inside of pick your destination yeah. here, right? That is the case. So my sentiment is that the brands that or the companies that actually have real brand power are the companies that can take the same three bedroom, four bedroom property, price it on their website better than their competitors, because people prefer to stay with them. They're like, when I book with company X, I know I'm going to get a good experience. So right. I'm not really willing to risk it, even if it's $300 over here. If I book with this random host on Airbnb, maybe it's $500 cheaper if I go to this other manager, but they have some sketchy reviews online, etc. So if you want to talk about what actually makes a brand valuable and using these different channels that we've talked about, um, owned, earned media, all the, what does this all sum together towards? In my opinion, what it sums together towards is that you can offer a commodity property or a nearly commodity property, and you can command a higher rate for it because people have an affinity for your brand and they actually want to choose, want to book with you. So that's my way that I would define those different elements but you did a good job i think of breaking down the differences between those different platforms maybe go down the paid media one for a second you could because i think that you can build a brand at least partially with paid media what's your perspective on how advertising and like awareness can be built through through paid it is i think certainly for those companies who and it that's one of the I think that's one of the fun parts about working with Ventories. We do, we get to work with a lot of people who are trying to establish that brand. And I think that you can do it. And I've seen people do it effectively through those digital channels. I think social media ads and social media, we've talked about it many times. It's great for brand exposure, not exactly great for the e-commerce direct conversions coming through. So being able to really establish yourself, I think you have to, again, I'm going to keep buzzwording it, but establish that brand. Make sure you know what you are right now and then let everybody else know what it is, whether you're using Facebook, whether you're using Google. LinkedIn's a great way to do it. It is. Certainly, you can use other channels that are outside of just the traditionals that we use. I've seen a lot of different people using, I think the display side is a really great way to visualize your brand. Paid search, you have to have, you have to have defined that brand. People have to know your brand in order to do it. So I think display is really the way where you start to get people finding out about your brand. And it's not necessarily in those channels where, again, you traditionally be looking. You're not, you don't have to see the brand show up on a travel website. It doesn't have to be on Airbnb. It doesn't have to be on Verbo. That's the wonderful part about <clears throat> social media ads, Google ads, or Google display ads. And I 
prefer Google over Bing because the, certainly the Google display network is a little more extensive than the Bing one is, but it is. Those are both opportunities to get that brand, get some visualization out there, get that new logo out there, get your value proposition out there, and just get people thinking about you. <clears throat> if they've searched with you before, if they've stayed with you before, that's great. That Do that little bit of retargeting. But in a lot of cases, you do. You want to be able to start setting up those drive to destination areas and really start to get local people around you. Maybe it is, maybe you're just sticking within your county to start, or you're sticking within that 50 mile radius, 75 mile radius, just trying to grow your exposure out there. Then going to go into your Google analytics, figure out where people are visiting your website, start targeting those areas and get more people in those areas that you're starting to identify as some target markets and target destinations get more of that brand exposure there. It is, it's it's one of those things where I think, I certainly think that you can do a lot with paid media and especially on the display side for pretty cost effective, for pretty cost effective ways, especially when you're comparing that to the amount of time and the amount, certainly a cost, cost effective, money cost effective, but time cost effective as well to build that brand, to build a website. Those projects take a long time to build up that equity of, Certainly SEO, it takes a long time to build up enough reviews on the earned media side of things. These are all very long-term projects. And I think paid media is a way to get that that quick hit out there and start to get that's, get something that you can build on. So what, what are your thoughts on the paid media side of things? Yeah. One, one quick note on the idea of a brand taking a long time to build. I agree, obviously, and should exactly. take a long time. Yeah, exactly. I said this to someone a long time ago, and I think I... I think I put his brain into a pretzel just because he was like, I want to go quickly kind of guy. And I went, I was like, let's think about what you're trying to accomplish. Basically, he wants all this market share, all the properties, all the direct bookings right away, which actually I like it. Like to be clear, like that, I dig that aggressive is much more fun than like, yeah, if we get to it eventually, like that's not where great companies aren't built that way, whether they're small or large. So I like it a lot, but I was like, think about this a little bit. And we were actually making, in my opinion, good progress. He wasn't necessarily agreeing with me. So I'm like, okay, it's fine. We can have a difference of opinion. And I said, imagine you've been at this for basically basically 18 months, you've already got like 35 properties, you've already got people booking, you already have 30% direct bookings, like you're doing really well. Believe me, there's companies much who've been doing this a lot longer who have made a lot less progress than you. But that answer wasn't satisfactory to him. So I said, think about this. If it was if it took a year to get to 100% direct bookings and 200 of the best properties in a market, what's to stop someone from doing the same thing to you 12 months from now? What's the, what's to stop someone from coming in the market into 2023 and saying, you know what, 2023, I'm going to hit the gas pedal as hard as I can, and I'm going to be the best property manager in, again, destination X, whatever destination X happens to be. And then I think he understood it a little bit better. Like It should be hard. It should be challenging to build a brand because then you actually have a little bit of a moat around your company. Once you have that brand, brand built up, someone's going to be like, I don't really know. Like the Outer Banks is full of very established and very, I think, typically longstanding vacational management brands. And I work with one of them, so I won't say which one if they don't want that out there. But it would be very challenging for someone to enter the Outer Banks market and say, I'm going to manage as many homes as a company. This is my client, but a company like Twitty. They have over a thousand homes. They're absolutely massive. It would be unbelievably challenging to even come close to their level of brand awareness in that market. And I don't really care how much money they had. If it's if you were a new company and you weren't buying another company out to get started right. and you were going to try to compete with them in that in that in that from that scale in that market, you'd have an incredibly hard time. So that's just one thing I wanted to say too with this is that you're putting in that work and it's like you're putting like 
future money in the bank. Like you're not really getting that money with all the stuff you're talking about, leveraging paid, like people remembering your logo, remembering your brand, messaging, like all this kind of stuff that goes on. People following you on social media and engaging with your posts for 12 months or 16 months. None of that, very little of that actually drives any value to you today. Very little of it does. But then over time, it's, oh, wow, like we kept doing this over time. And then two years later, three years later, going back to my earlier point, now a 1000 people come to our website every month, and 50 of them book, and I don't have to do anything. That's what you're actually building for is this idea of like momentum or this idea of like, awareness, like people just walk in and automatically choose your particular product, because they have an affinity towards it. So that's kind of the way that I see it now to to the more direct question that we had started on with paid media. I think the awesome part about paid is that you can get right in front of your target customer right away with paid media. That's one thing with these other channels that we're talking about, try going out to a newspaper and saying, yeah, I have a new vacation (laughs) rental company, I want to start managing properties in again destination x and they'd be like okay what have you done that's noteworthy or newsworthy and the answer right. is probably nothing but there's a lot of there's a lot of steps and hurdles you have to clear to get from a to z on that kind of thing or to your point seo it takes time i agree with that sentiment we have a whole episode on seo we'll probably do more in the future. but with paid what i always tell clients when i'm on discovery calls and things like that is that we could have a campaign idea today and have ads and traffic coming in tomorrow there's very few channels where you could do that outside right. of these paid media platforms right where we can and it's relevant traffic too it's not just like random people coming in whether that be on the owner side or the guest side, we can get relevant traffic coming in in usually less than 28 or 48 hours. And that's a superpower, I think, to building a brand because it does level the playing field quite a bit. I just spent a few minutes talking about a brand moat and things like that. But if, if you want to at least chip away, if you want to at least take an arrow and shoot it at the castle and get one property, for example, from one of these other managers, you can do that with a targeted paid search campaign, with a targeted retargeting campaign for people to visit that page, right. with a targeted, if you have a customer list or a guest list campaign, you can get them to book direct. It's going to be brick by brick. You're going to have to go slowly to get that type of awareness. But I think the paid media can play a critical role in kind of this idea of reputation, the idea of brand building, because ultimately you can get relevant traffic very quickly. And there's not any gatekeeper other than just following the rules of the platforms, which isn't that hard to do. And you can actually get the right the right person in front of you can get the right person that you want to see your message, whether that be on the guest side or the owner side in front of them very quickly. So that's how I see the benefits of paid on the brand building side of things. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, it, it is. I think that's something where it, if you could, if everything was a quick, certainly I think the easiest to implement is going to be the paid side of things. That's something that you have, again, it's one of those things you control. It's not owned, but it is owned in the sense that the only difference is you're paying for the own, but it's still the control and how I'm defining it is that's how you're still owning that media there. So I, I do, I think that paid media is certainly something that o- over time, it's it has to be something. And once, once you've established that brand, you want to invest in the brand that and that is the way you do that and certainly there are other organic ways to do it too but i think we've both seen over time that paid media is certainly a way that that you're going to take advantage of that like, absolutely what about, what about on the customer feedback side of things we've talked about reviews but yeah. like how 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 have you done how have you managed the customer feedback loop how have you gotten more out of it how have you what really have you done to improve that or use it to your advantage when you, as you're building those brands up. I think one thing we said earlier is the idea of a lot of platforms have essentially f- pass-fail review systems right. like Airbnb. But what I've learned is that if you're collecting reviews and feedback directly like on your website or you're collecting it through some kind of like post-checkout form or something like that, you can usually be a lot more granular, you can get better feedback, so that's always helpful in my opinion. But 
what I find is that people leave very different levels of comments depending on their level of engagement with either property manager. So for example, again, if you deliver exactly what you say you're going to deliver, the property's clean, it's nice, they paid a good value their stay, you're probably going to get a five-star review on any platform. However, what I've learned in my story from earlier about you go and do the birthday cake, you have your your team call and check in and say, hey, we just want to all make sure you and your family checked into the property properly. Is everything good? In some cases, this has actually always been funny to me, but I find this is the case a lot of times customer guest feedback when a problem actually occurs. You sometimes actually leave amazing feedback when a problem occurs because it was addressed very quickly. Hey, like whether it's inside or outside of your control, we had an example recently where a client ran out of firewood. They went through their sure. whatever, four sure. things of firewood that they're given. And it's all in the check-in instructions. Like they did exactly what they said they were going to do, right? They delivered the four four pieces of firewood to the cabin before arrival. And they went, hey, we ran out. And they were like, actually, you know what? I'm headed out anyways. I'm just going to go bring you eight extra ones just so you don't run out again. And that $25 act of kindness or whatever, even though it was kind of a problem and not necessarily a negative thing, but left the customer, oh, so amazing. They came out and they brought us this and that. And they were like, this cabin was amazing. We're going to come stay again. They left a lot of positive feedback. Feedback. So that's how I always think about guest feedback when I'm reading it, like the marketing side, which is there are things here that I can take and turns into like marketing assets. Could they be quotes? Could there be specific screenshots of here's the people that had this feedback and stuff like that? And I think that's a good way to show what sort of path you're on from like a brand building perspective, because and I'll admit it too, we have clients who get a lot of feedback and it's like, yep, property was nice. Good stay overall. Like click five stars and hit submit. Mm-hmm. Again, you delivered that person what you said you were going to deliver. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but it's not the same thing as oh my God, this property was amazing. We had such a great time. We reconnected with the family. We're going to come back and stay again. We're going to recommend this company to our friends. And all those things I think can occur when you actually really invest into the guest experience. And that's going to reflect in the feedback that you get from those guests. So that's how I see that from a brand building perspective is that I think there's different levels, right? There's like bare minimum, there's like meeting expectations, there's exceeding expectations. And then there's those rare companies and rare host managers that maybe not every time have the ability frequently to actually generate this like unbelievable goodwill that people will remember for a long time. And I think that if you care about the way that your company is presented from a brand perspective and from an online review perspective, you have to leave yourself chances to build those opportunities. Otherwise, one little mistake kills you. Like that's the... I forget exactly where this came from, but there's people out there who can leave this to be the case where basically you meet, you book the place and you have your neutral, like you, you're right. excited, you're looking forward to it, you're neutral. And if you do things before the check-in that kind of builds some of that affinity, you actually, they check in the property and they already have a little bit better affinity for you. If you sent them a guidebook beforehand, if you message, message them beforehand, hey, here's your door code. Hey, can I help with anything? Hey, do you need any extra directions? Was the guidebook clear? All that kind of stuff. Those are all goodwill building things. Then they check in and if there's a little problem, you can actually survive it because like they act- you actually build some good well before there was a problem on the flip side if like you let someone book the place and then you know they don't really talk to them you don't really send them any information you just kind of do the bare minimum here's your door code paul one two three four have fun you just kind of <laughs> a lot of people that over automate their messaging i find tend to do stuff like this mm. then you're neutral or you might even be a little bit negative oh they sent me the door code the day before that's rude and they have feelings like that at times i didn't hear from them i booked i didn't hear from them for 90 days until i checked in and they thought did you even get my reservation do you even care about me all those things can occur and then one negative things happens and it's like then they start summing up everything that happened before in their head. Ah, these guys sent the door code late and they didn't check in with me and they didn't even know if I have, and now the oven's broken. Like, how dare they? <laughs> and then of course that's reflected in negative cust feedback, negative customer feedback. So that's my assessment is that the more you do to prevent, to provide that good experience, the more goodwill is reflected in your brand. And it's a snowball effect. The better brand awareness you have, the better brand reputation you have, the more people seek you out, the more people that seek you out, the bigger you can grow, the more your marketing investments can carry you. And over time, the best companies that are single market companies that I've worked with 
all have this DNA running through them mm-hmm. that is a heavily heavy investment mm-hmm. into the idea of brand that isn't always reflected in exactly the same way in how they do it. But brand is critical to them. And I think that if you're trying to build a great company, and you're trying to be one of the best managers in the market and attract the best homes and have the best guests that take care of your places. You have to have a brand that people actually really love. Agreed. I, that's the perfect bow. Not on the bow there. I think that sums it up just perfectly. Okay, cool. If you don't have anything else, we can put a bow on it to your point. I think we're up to 14 reviews now on Apple Podcasts. I've learned too that Apple Podcasts is the most popular podcast platform for people to listen to this podcast on. That's a lot of mentions of the word podcast in one sentence. Anywho, <laughs> if you are on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform and you're listening this far, then you must like it. Otherwise, my goodness, why would you have stuck around for almost 40 minutes? <laughs> you have to like it. You have to like it at least a little bit or you just hate us and you're like writing down. This is how many yeah. You can rage terrible. That's fine. Yeah, that's good. But I don't think so. I think if they listen this far, they like it. So in the new year, it's about to be 2023. When this episode drops, it may in fact be 2023. So if Mm -hmm. that's the case, happy new year to you. We have to get more reviews. So we're pumping, we're asking for more reviews. And we certainly thank you for listening. So if you don't have anything else, Paul, we'll put a, to your point, we'll put a bow on it. Thanks everybody for listening. We hope you have a great day and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye.